Welcome to Lessons in Leadership, Steve Adubato. I caught Mary Gamba taking her glasses off. <laughs> did you like I did the quick, oh, we're getting yeah, started. That quick, I saw that. That's what happens when you're live. Hey, Mary, um, we're about to kick off a great Lessons in Leadership episode with our longtime friend, Dr. Andrew Pecora. But first, let everyone know who the sponsors of Lessons in Leadership are. I sure will. The glasses are going back on for this. Uh, we have Valley Bank. We have the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, New Jersey Sharing Network, the North Ward Center, Veolia, uh, Seton Hall University and the Bacino Leadership Institute, uh, Fedway Associates, Delta Dental of New Jersey, and Prager Metis. I don't think I said Prager Metis. And Valley Bank. I don't know what I'm saying anymore, but the good news is we thank all of our wonderful sponsors. And I also want to thank our media partners, the New Jersey Business and Industry Association and their publication, New Jersey Business, the Commerce and Industry Association and their publication, both digital and print, Commerce Magazine, and our newest sponsor uh, and longtime colleagues over at Meadowlands Chamber, uh, Jim Kirkus, and their magazine, Meadowlands Magazine. Enough plugging. Let's get Is it to ever enough plugging, Steve? Come on. <laughs> it's, 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 no, it's more than plugging because now we're going to talk about leadership and innovation with our longtime friend, Dr. Andrew Pecora, Chief Executive Officer and Chairman of Outcomes Matter Innovations. Good to see you, Doctor. Good to see you, Steve. Uh, Andrew, do us a favor. Tell us exactly what Outcomes Matter Innovations is. Yeah, so we're a uh, information technology-based company that's accelerating the transition to value-based care among specialists across the country. And we're gonna break down what that means um, because sometimes, and Andrew knows about how obsessed I am with communication because if it were not for Andrew Pecora, uh, when he was with HMH, Hackensack Meridian Health, we would not have been able to kick off the Hackensack Meridian Health Physician Leadership Academy, which he played a key role in happening. So we talk so much about communication and its connection to leadership. So my follow-up, Andrew, is this. In talking about outcomes matter innovations, how important is it that you and your colleagues are able to communicate and explain it in non-clinical terms that the average person can understand? Steve, you're absolutely right. It's it's critical. So, you know, if you think about it, we all realize that um, at some point in time we may need medical care and none of us want to face the fact that we might develop a serious illness, but when we do, we depend on our healthcare systems, our doctors to take care of us. And we have an implicit trust that they're gonna do the right thing for us or for the people we love. We also know as citizens of the United States that healthcare is becoming unaffordable uh, and will become unaffordable over time. And how do you reconcile at the individual level for either yourself or someone you love to get the care you need, particularly if you have a serious problem like cancer or, rheumatoid arthritis or something, or multiple sclerosis, something serious, but at the same time, not have the country uh, unable to afford uh, uh, care. So what I've done in my career, and Steve, you know, is I've been very focused on improving outcomes for patients, first in cancer and then at Hackensack Meridian Health for all physicians. And I've, I've worked to help physicians become leaders. What I realized is that we needed a novel solution to address the fundamental issue of how can we reduce the total cost of care while maintaining or improving the relevant clinical outcome. So if you have cancer, you want your cancer to go away and never come back. That's what you want. And how do you do that and do it in an economically appropriate way? And 
right now, the system hasn't been built to do that. And that's why we created Outcomes Matter Innovation. And that's what we do. We, ex we enable physicians and payers to work together in partnership through our information technology and our medical approaches, such that patients can be assured they're going to get the proper care, they're going to get the right outcome, and we reduce total cost of care that lowers the burden to society and enables physicians, healthcare systems, and payers to have a more economic approach to care. That's what we do. And that is leadership. Is it not, Andrew? That's the essence of leadership, is taking on complex, difficult, multifaceted challenges and trying to find solutions and implement them. That's the essence of leadership. It, no, it truly is, Steve. You know, one of, one of the thrills of being a, a cancer doctor for me is over the last 30 years, learning things that we didn't even have the science 25, 30 years ago that we do today that allows us to see things that were always there, but we could never see them. And we're now able to do things using genomics and immunotherapy to transform medicine. Well, similarly, I've taken that skill set and I've applied it to information technology with people that are way smarter than me about software, machine learning, artificial intelligence. But I bring the biology part to the equation. And we've been able to put those two things together to create solutions for physicians at the point of care to make the best possible decision for their patient in real time that leads to better outcomes and lower costs. And we've been able to turn that into a business that is now scaling across the country. Incredibly complex and important uh, work being done by Andrew Bacor and his colleagues at Outcomes Matter Innovations. Please, Mary. Please, Mary. Yeah, definitely. Dr. Pakora, right in the name of your organization is innovation. And Steve and I talk a lot about leadership, innovation, change. How do you get the buy-in, whether it's the researchers, the IT, the physician leaders? Because change is scary. I don't care you know, how many PhDs, MDs you have after your name. Change is really terrifying. How do you let them know that it is okay to embrace change, get comfortable being uncomfortable? Mary, you're absolutely right. Well, you know, the first thing you do is you get a consensus that there is a problem and that people agree there is a problem. And I don't think many people disagree that uh, the sustainability of healthcare at its current cost level uh, is, is, not, is, not, uh, is not particularly appealing. The second thing is, well, that we understand, but we take care of patients one at a time as doctors. And we're not economists. We, we don't want to deal with this. But in fact, you're the only people that can deal with this because you're the decision makers. Well, we don't have the ability at the point of care to make these decisions. That's where we come in. We speak their language. They trust us. They trust the integrity of what we're doing medically. We care about them in their businesses. And we provide them solutions uh, and access to information they never had before. So no different than I can now look at a genomic report and find a cure for cancer because of that report that I couldn't do 20 years ago. We are providing technology and information and data that's relevant to a doctor to enable them to make a decision in real time. So everybody wins, the patient wins, the doctor wins, society wins. And when people get those sorts of solutions, they actually get excited about it. You know, you think about this, right? We all have iPhones now. Well, when we grew up, they didn't exist, right? But now you couldn't even imagine going a day without your phone, right? And that's change. So I believe that in healthcare, we are ripe for transformation. As long as we are respectful that you have to do the medicine and the science first, 
and then bring the solutions behind it to support the people that are making the decisions that affect people's lives. Andrew, quick uh, follow-up to that. <clears throat> I remember when you and, and your previous colleagues at HMH, um, Bob Garrett, uh, Tim Hogan, Jim Blazer, others, um, Dan Varger, the, the chief medical executive there now. But back in the day, several years ago, when we started the HMH Physician Leadership Academy, the idea of, I don't want to say selling, Andrew, but convincing physicians who are elevated from purely clinical positions into leadership positions, that leadership development and coaching and mentoring and helping them gain their skills and tools to become leaders was, was essential, is essential. There's a question here, trust me. <laughs> Do you believe most physician leaders and the top best in their field, whether it's oncology, whatever it is, that they understand that to be a leader at the highest level, that the clinical skills and tools that you've learned, it ain't enough. Yeah, no, Steve, you're right. Well, you know, this is my own personal bias and belief. I think we've done a profound disservice to people who have dedicated their lives training to become physicians because we did not provide them the tools that any other professional gets. When you're in medical school, you don't get an accounting course. You don't get a legal course. You don't get a business course. You don't even know how to balance your checkbook, but you can do biology like nobody's business. And so we, we sort of set this up. When I was in training, what you spent was irrelevant for your patient. What mattered is do every test possible, do it three times if you think it's important, but help that person. Well, we've come to realize that was not the best way to do it. And, you know, one of the things that HMH and our good friend Bob Garrett is, is, should be really proud about is HMH has created a new medical school and it's training doctors. You have to learn the biology and the science and you have to practice operating if you're gonna be a surgeon. Of course you need to do that. But in addition, we're teaching them other things, how to work as part of a team. You know, when I was training, Steve, if you had to go to someone for help, it was a sign of weakness, right? You weren't smart enough. You were competing against everyone around you. Now we're treating, training doctors to be parts of teams. But I think there's another piece here that just like biologic science has exploded and accelerated, information technology has caught up as well. We are able to process billions of pieces of data per day and put it in the hands of doctors the next morning. Couldn't do that five years ago. And it's not people doing that, it's machines doing that. So that's what artificial intelligence and machine learning is. So you take that computational science, information technology, and you partner it with biology and medicine in ways it wasn't done before. And that's what OMI was created to do. And that's what we do. Um, you, can, you can do things that you couldn't even imagine before. But it takes extraordinary leadership, the ability to communicate, to collaborate, to, to coach and mentor other people, which as Dr. Bacora said, Mary, and we've talked about this before when we were working on creating the HMH Physician Leadership Academy, that as Andrew said, it's actually, almost, it's really unfair. You're the greatest oncologist in your field. Now you're going to be the chair of oncology. You're going to run meetings. You're going to manage the budget. You're going to deal with legal issues. You're going to have to develop your people. What? Why would we expect that? Anyway, I'm off my soapbox. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Andrew Pecora, um, who was so helpful in us 
working with HMH along with the other colleagues I talked about before in creating that Leadership Academy for Physicians, the Chief Executive Officer and Chairman of Outcomes Matter Innovations, and also still affiliated with the Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine, the Associate Dean for Technology and Innovation. Andrew, thank you, our friend. Thank you. Great, Mary. Great, Steve. Thank you. You got it. Stay with us. This is Lessons in Leadership. We'll be right back. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Pregramedis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Fedway Associates, Inc., Veolia, Resourcing the World, Choose New Jersey, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber, celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. I am alive today thanks to my kidney donor. I am traveling and more active than ever before. I'm alive today thanks to my heart donor. I'm full of energy and back singing in my church choir. I'm alive today thanks to my lung donor. I'm breathing easy and I'm enjoying life's precious moments. There are about 4,000 people in New Jersey waiting for a life-saving transplant. Donation needs diversity. For more information or to become an organ and tissue donor, visit njsharingnetwork.org. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership. Steve Adubato, my colleague, Gam uh, Mary, I'll get that out. It's Mary Gamba. I know. I, we only just started working together, Steve, so fully understandable. <laughs> look, at, look at you and your glasses. You, at first, you didn't <laughs> want to have them on. Now, you've re realized that you look good in them and you won't take them off. Well, A, I love my glasses. B, you already gave me the heads up that I need to introduce our guest. So if I need to be able to read a sheet of paper, I need the glasses on. <laughs> you know what? While you read, I'm going to put my glasses on to watch you. Go ahead. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. We have Norris Clark, Managing Partner of PSC, and Carolyn Poacher-Woody, uh, Director of Digital Marketing with PSC. More importantly, uh, we're just so happy to have you be here uh, with us today. So thanks for joining us. Steve has me all thinking about my glasses. I swear I could do an introduction better than that. I can throw Although Mary I do like the way I look with my glasses on, I have to say. Mary, it's all about you. So uh, <laughs> here we go. Norris, we have a partnership. And by the way, uh, CPW is, Carolyn, let everyone know why you're called CPW. Oh, because there are too many Carolyns. There's a Carolina. <laughs> we have a Carolina on our team yes. who is a marketing, young, talented marketing leader who works with you and your team and Norris. Um, so, yeah, it's confusing. Norris. And, and I do have to say one other thing, and I don't know if CPW and Norris have this history, but we used to have a Mary Ellen and a Mary, which was hysterical. We had a Lisa and a Lisa Marie. Now we have a Carolyn and a Caroline. I mean, you just you can't make it up. You have to have very similar names to be able to work here. Yes. And to that end, Norris, tell everyone what your firm is all about. Well, Steve, uh, Princeton Strategic Communications, we've shortened it uh, because less is more. And we just say PSC, uh, make it easier on people to repeat the brand. We help people, consequential companies, consequential causes to tell their story. Well, you, well, well said. And also uh, to fully disclose, 
we brought on PSC, I don't know how many months ago, Mary, but they've been part of our team. They're handling so much of our marketing and branding and communications. We first reached out for Dale Florio, who is now, now there's a relationship between the larger firm and PSC, right? Where Dale Florio is? Correct. We're the communications sister company of Princeton Public Affairs Group. And check out our interviews with um, with Dale Flurry on a whole range of issues. But 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 help us understand something, um, CPW. The connection between marketing, communications, and leadership is. Well, Steve, you can't do marketing or communications without collaboration, and. Um, I think that innovation is so much of uh, an important part of leadership now. Um, it's important to create a space where you can collaborate and innovate. That's the leaders. Uh, I think that's their foremost responsibility. But along those lines, it's interesting, Mary. We we haven't spent much time in person. With I, we've actually realizing now, talk about how weird the world we're living is right now. How different it is. I think Norris and I have been in a room together one time when we had a luncheon. We got everyone together. CPW, were you there, CPW? You, you, no, you were... I, was, I was sick that day, unfortunately. <laughs> so, you know, here's the reason I'm saying this is I've had countless conversations with CPW about so many things. I find her to be a clear, concise, effective communicator. Somehow we connect easily, which means there's something weird about her that she can do that with me because <laughs> most people can't. But we, haven't even been in the same, but we haven't even been in the same room together. I know. How the heck does Norris? How, go ahead, CPW. How the heck does that work? I I just get you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best one-line quote we have ever had on lessons yeah. in leadership. I just want to drop the, drop the mic right now. Yeah, but uh, but but there's. I know getting me is. I don't want to make it about me, which is what I you know I normally do. But Norris, here in all seriousness, relationships are forged, developed or not, largely not in person, Norris. Yes, that's true these days. But, um, you know, you're never going to build a relationship without some interpersonal connection. In the olden days, they wrote beautiful letters, right? I mean, you see our logo goes back to the day when someone was telling their story, like Thomas Jefferson, they were taking out a quill and crafting a beautiful letter to communicate to people. And uh, we've made it much easier uh, to communicate uh, through all the different media that we have. But there's always going to have to be that personal connection because that's the only way to build relationships and brands. Which is a huge part of leadership. And P.S. Mary and I, uh, the running count three years into the pandemic, is it four or five times? I think it is five, only because we had that one meeting in Metuchen that I always forget about, an in-person meeting. So I think it's been five. Got to pick it yeah, up from there, Mary. Speaking about leadership, all yours. The ball oh, yeah. Thanks. is in your court, Mary. Oh, I keep forgetting to get a ball to like grab it on my side. I'll have it for our next episode for sure. So, uh, Carolyn, uh, you have been a coach and a mentor, obviously, uh, in your previous life before we even met you. Talk about coaching and mentoring, because I've seen you coach and mentor Caroline, who's on our team. So she's on the, the Caucus Educational Corporation nonprofit television production side with us. But you came in just so, and I hate to use the word easily, but so organically, it was just a really good fit. Talk about the responsibility that leaders, managers, people who have been around a while, right? We're around a little bit more than Caroline, who's in her 20s. The importance of coaching, mentoring, 
lifting up and letting these young adults know that they are leaders. So talk a little bit about that. I think it's all about giving them the space. And I think that listening is underrated. I think that teaching those skills is, is so vitally important. Um, I really think that um, it's important to also proceed with empathy because everybody fails. Everybody fails and they need room to fail because you can use that as a learning opportunity and help them grow. And it's important, I think, also is to make goals, but make them not too large that they can't be uh, executed. You know what I'm saying? So what my strength coach, Mike Canley, always says is try to do 1% better every day. Try to hold do on, that. Is that a whoa, whoa, Wait, whoa, whoa, is that a physical hold, strength coach? Hold on one yes, second. You can't is. say my strength. <laughs> I need one of those. What do you, Steve and I... <laughs> what do you mean your strength coach? I have a strength coach. I, I, I work out three times a week with, with heavy weights. And I figured if I didn't get a strength coach, I'd get injured. So <laughs> See, hold, Mary, I love, we, we learn something new every day. Norris, do you have a strength coach? Uh, do I have if you have to think about it, the answer is no. <laughs> a bike guy. He's a bike guy. I tap my inner strength. You know what, Mary and I talk about the connection between wellness and leadership a lot and, and listening to CPW talk about how fitness is a big part of her life. Uh, but as we as we coach and write about in this new book, uh, Lessons in Leadership, The Tough Stuff 2.0, uh, by the way, CPW did the book cover with a very nice airbrushed picture of me, which is it's <laughs> nice and airbrushed. But Norris, there's a big section on wellness. What do you do for yourself to take care of yourself, which connects to your being effective as a leader? At least four times a week, I get on a bike and I go to a place that's uh, not heavily trafficked and I listen to great books, audio books. Uh, and so I try to exercise my body while I'm exercising my mind. I think that's that's a key part of my regimen. So this bike is moving, not like my bike on Peloton this morning, not going anywhere. I was looking at some place in Switzerland on a screen, you actually go to pl go places. I try to, yes. I'm either stationary, but as much as possible, I like to have the you know the fresh air uh, out there. So there's nothing like a bike ride in a beautiful you know countryside, listening to a great book on 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 tape, audio book. And don't, don't point, get any bread ideas, Steve. I, I need you with one piece. You know, we need this all whole. We <laughs> let me tell you something. I don't, Mary, I don't trust you out on the road on a bike for some reason. I, I don't know if I've said this on the air yet, but I'll share it now. I, I, I thank you to the team at Peloton. By the way, the new CEO at Peloton, we're going to be bringing on to lessons in leadership uh, to talk about the evolution at Peloton, but we're not going to promote them anymore. Mary, do you know that I do ride a bike on the outside, but it's a certain kind of bike? Yeah, you have actually talked about it. It's one that you need to plug in because it's an electric bike. So I don't that I'm okay with you doing that as long as you're wearing a helmet. But the type of biking that Norris is talking about, I, it's there's too many distractions. I could see you getting a call or a text and flipping over the handle rails. So CPW, let's stay away from that. Listen to this. I can go up a hill doing absolutely nothing. Just <laughs> how hard how, is it wrong? Is it wrong? A little bit. A little, a little bit, Steve. A little bit. Okay. So hold on. Um, by the way, this goes totally every day I'm hustling, except when I'm it. on my electric bike. So that being said, I need to talk about, um, Mary was talking about coaching and mentoring, but I'm curious, giving feedback, giving feedback that's honest, that's hard to hear, and is received without defensiveness, easier said than done. 
CPW, you go first and then NARS because it's a huge theme in the lessons in leadership repertoire. Feedback. I, I think you have to be really careful if you give negative feedback. I think it should be always done one-on-one -on -one and not in front of other people. Hold on, let me write that down. <laughs> <laughs> not in front of other people. Oh, no, definitely not. Definitely ah. not. There's not enough time in this segment, Steve. Let's move on to Norris. Okay. Keep going, and I'm going to question that later. Go ahead. Okay. No, keep going. What one-on-one -on -one feedback? No one else is around. How on CPW? How honest? Well, you know me. I'm I'm extremely honest. I'm direct. If I can help you be better, I'm going to tell you. Are we talking about giving feedback to a colleague or giving feedback to a client that just that said they wanted to do something? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on one second. Hold on one second. And by the way, Elvin, stop right. Elvin Badger, our director, stop writing in the chat in, in chat. Yes, Steve, write that down now. Don't give feedback in front of other people. <laughs> Elvin, we get your point. Okay. Hold on. Norris, what's the difference between feedback to a client versus a colleague? Well, they're different situations. If if you're a client and you say, hey, can I have that in red? Uh, the first thing out of our mouth would be, yes, you can have that in red, but you might want to stop and think about how it might look in green. Uh, or you can say, uh, of course, you can do it that way, but other people have thought about doing it that way. And then they stopped and gave it some more thought and realized that that may not be the best way to go. So, you know, addressing clients with, you know, when they ask you, what's your advice about what I should do? And do you think this is a good idea? You, you want to be real and authentic. You want to tell the truth. You first, you, you, you basically affirm their right to do what they want to do, but then encourage them to think about it from different angles before they take the step. What about a, what about a team member, someone who reports to you? Again, we're not a military organization, but you are the leader. They report to you and you need to give them constructive feedback. CPW says she doesn't hold back. She does do it in private. Do you sugarcoat at all, Norris? No, you don't sugarcoat, but you don't necessarily pile on either. Uh, so if you want to make a constructive criticism, it's good to take one at a time and do it in a positive fashion and give illustration, specific illustrations mm. of how they might have done it better. You know, I've seen where people try to give a whole list of constructive criticisms. It's overwhelming for people. Mary, Norris keeps calling it criticism. I call it feedback. Is there a difference or am, am I playing word games? It's a little bit of word gaming only because it's the same feedback, criticism, uh, whatever you want to call it, the words are most likely going to be the same. But if you frame it to that person that, hey, here's a piece of feedback, it's definitely a lot better than saying, hey, because criticism, you think, oh, you're criticizing me. Feedback to me is more often having to do with the actual situation mm. or the activity that maybe didn't go the way that you wanted it to go. Well yeah, said. Before we go ahead, Norris, I, got 30 I seconds agree. to go. I think feedback is better than criticism. So I want to be clear, CPW, under no circumstances should we ever as leaders, should we as leaders ever give feedback in real time when the opportunity presents itself in front of everyone else, even if we think other people can learn from that. Mary told me not to bring this up because it's a Pandora's box. I believe sometimes it's necessary. You do not. I do not. I, I think that that can result in shaming your employee and, and creating, and creating um, how should I say, friction and 
feeling that you do not have their back. I would like to edit out this entire section. Of <laughs> nope. <laughs> my entire leadership communication, feedback, philosophy, coaching has been thrown out because CPW said, Steve, you're wrong. Never, ever give feedback in front of other people. Okay. Uh, please read the chapter. Feedback is a funny thing in a new book coming out called Lessons in Leadership 2.0, the tough stuff. Cover design by CPW. CPW uh, Norris, thank you so much for joining us. We will edit out everything that CPW said that is contrary to what I believe. Mary, you want to say goodbye to everyone? <laughs> uh, first of all, we will not be doing that. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Bye, folks. See you next <laughs> This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Pregramatis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Fedway Associates, Inc., Veolia, resourcing the world, Choose New Jersey, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Chamber, celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth.